Hello and welcome to Meet Our Makers, an artist interview podcast produced in association with Beats Per Minute. I'm your host, Jeremy J. Fassett. On this episode, we get to meet Emil Mosseri. Emil is best known as a film composer, but his life in music started with a band called The Dig. And now he's just recently put out his first solo studio album called Heaven Hunters. In this chat, Emil and I talk quite a bit about this record, what led him to it, some of the themes behind it, as well as how his film composition work sort of overlaps with his personal songwriting and how the former kind of led to the latter, making him comfortable enough to release this very personal music. We do touch on his film work, including the path that led him into film composition in the first place, and how it sort of surpassed his wildest dreams, including the nuts ride of award season. We talk about some specific film scores of his, like The Last Black Man in San Francisco, Kajillionaire, and his Oscar-nominated work on Minari, and how he composes alongside such specific filmmakers, auteurs, and these storytellers with such particular vocabularies. Before we get started, I do want to remind everyone that Meet Our Makers is now on Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash meetourmakers, you can, for a very small monthly fee, become a patron, help me out, help me keep making the show that I love to do and that I hope you love listening to, as well as eventually growing some nice kickbacks, some nice little perks for you guys. Um, you can also follow the show on Instagram at meetourmakerspodcast and on Twitter at meetourmakers underscore. So thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this chat. This is me meeting Emile Masseri. I'm good. You're catching me literally 30 seconds after coming in from teaching all day. So. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to say after waking up. I was like, I no. 30 seconds. <laughs> Take yeah, long. yeah, I just, you know put everything on like this really quick uh no i i'm an I'm a high school english teacher so i just oh very cool just got home um so thank you emil for agreeing to hang out for a little bit and chat thanks for having me man yeah i'm happy to have you um we should say off the top the uh i guess the main occasion for us to be here today is that you have a record coming out um june 9th on your own imprint greedy heart mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah um, good, right. So June 9th, it is. I mean, you've been working as a composer for several years now, which um, we'll get into later. You've also had a band for a while, but this is your first like solo album. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So the then I'm curious then what led to the conception of this record and kind of what along the way compelled you to to decide that it was time to do an album like this versus another composition piece or an experimental piece or a band piece? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I've been um, wanting to do it for a long time. Like I've uh, I been playing in bands and, and writing songs and singing my whole life. And it's only the last four or five years that I started to like score films and that kind of took over. Um, but I've always wanted to make my own record. I feel like, and just scoring other people's films kind of got me there faster in a way because it, I was working for people, for writers and directors that were like telling really uh, personal stories or like kind of making really vulnerable films, ripping their hearts out and putting them on the screen in, in a way that like uh, was inspiring to me. And I kind of like it was I learned a lot from working with with a few of these people. And then I I wanted to kind of it kind of gave me the the bug i caught the bug a little bit for it and wanted to do my version of that you know um and i'd been you know in a band for for most of my life with two guys i grew up with that are amazing songwriters but we had three songwriters in the band and they're all making brilliant records on their own now and you know i i'd always kind of either been collaborating with them or collaborating with a director or collaborating with another artist on a collaborative album or track but i i this is the first time that i've like done something that was just me which is like exhilarating but terrifying at the same time it's because it's there's no what there's nobody to point to if, you know if it's 
there's nobody um you're just kind of naked but yeah which is which is thrilling but uh new for me and are you alone on this record um in a way uh, not at all no i mean i, I okay. there's a lot of amazing people playing on it um namely bobby Curlick, my my friend uh produced it he's brilliant uh artist he goes by the hacks and cloak for his oh, okay yep prison. He scores films as well for Ari Aster and a few other people, and he does amazing work in that space. And he, yeah, he's brilliant. So I, I, I basically, I mean, I'd, I'd recorded the whole record myself, and I got to a place where I couldn't hear it anymore. I couldn't see it, and you know, it was too close to it. You know, mm-hmm. that I, I was a little bit lost, and I needed somebody that I, whose work I loved, to kind of put their ears ear on it kind of make me fall in love with the songs all over again because i was like kind of turning on it or just you know there's a part in the process somebody said this to me recently that i forget who it was but there's like a horseshoe kind of shape with it like you you start out you're really in the artistic like your the the whole process the arc of it like you start like really psyched on something and you're lit up mm-hmm. and you're like you're inspired and then you kind of sink down like in the sh- and then ideally you come back up like a horseshoe i feel like i found bobby when i was like kind of and that's more in the sunken part of that shape and mm-hmm. he he or, love the songs and and his sort of critiques on critique on like sonically where the album was at at that stage really resonated with me he was saying like i think the songs are like he was saying that um the moments that were vulnerable needed to be more vulnerable and the Mm -hmm. moments that were expansive and lush and 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 cinematic and needed to be more expansive and and bigger and wider so he sort of just sonically and spiritually expanded the record and made it much more dynamic and made it much more colorful and he took a lot of liberties that i i like wouldn't trust you know like i there needs to be sort of a trust when you love someone's work they can play something for you and it can sound wrong at first but you can, but you can, because you trust them, you can let, you can sit with it for a few days. And then there was a few things like that where a couple of things he played for me at first, I like fucking hated them. <laughs> and, and then like 24 to 48 hours later, it was like my favorite thing on the record. Mm-hmm. I think that only works if you really like, you give yourself surrender to it. And he's such a brilliant artist that, that, that was, it was, that part was easy, you know? Yeah, it's interesting when people like him, because um, I mean, I, I forgot his his true name, but I I know that the Hex and Cloak, and it's interesting when he does produce for other people, because I wouldn't say your music sounds anything like what he does, but, yeah. you know, he came in and put his perspective on it, and that sort of unlocked something for you, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Totally, yeah, and what he does, I mean, he he's... What he does is pretty vast, like as a as a composer, like, mm-hmm. like the music he wrote for Midsommar in particular, like that that score is like so romantic and melodic and and cathartic and beautiful. And then he has other stuff that's more the Hacks and Cloak stuff is is beautiful in this this darker, um, more cutting way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's got all kinds of other scoring projects. And he's produced there's there's a song that he produced uh for for an artist uh josiah goes uh, by serpent with feet oh yeah there was an ep that bobby had produced of his there's a song on there called four ethers that like was my favorite one of my favorite recordings that i've heard in, in, in many years and i mm-hmm. i and then he did stuff with bjork and brother john misty sort of so he's he's an eclectic sort of colorful um artist and and singular artist but yeah it was a little bit of an unexpected pairing in a way that i think he gave some of my some of the recordings more teeth Mm. more you know i remember the first thing he played remember i was at my mom's house uh 
in Connecticut, I I was there. I I I was in Tel Aviv for a couple of weeks, and I'd sent Bobby the stems while I was gone, and then I was in Connecticut. And I got like he sent me the first thing that he did, and I remember like going into my mom's bathroom, like listening to it. And before <laughs> I before I pressed play, I was like just giving myself this little pep talk where I was like, "You're gonna hate it, you're gonna hate it, and that's okay. It, you're gonna learn to find a way to like communicate why you hate it, and you know, like, and you know, because it's so vulnerable. Like somebody's taking your 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 song your your voice your words and anyway so i pressed play on it and i he like there was a song that he'd taken all the harmony out of the song until the the chorus it's a song called all for the bliss he'd like he like replaced all the the chords with just this one note this one like repeating note and i i was it was disorienting at first but within that three minutes of listening to the song i i fell in love with it like he made it nude, you know, like he, his approach was so bold um, that, and so like new and fresh that like I, I, I heard the song New Year's, you know, um, which was a gift, you know, to have that. And then I was just, and then we were just kind of off. Mm. It's nice when things surprise you like that yeah yeah it is it is nice it's nice being like it's also like the other side of what i'd been on like i like the vibe that i've been living in creatively for a few years leading up to that that point was like writing music for other people's stories Mm -hmm. writing Mm -hmm. music for other people's films and and getting notes and like interpreting their scripts or interpreting their like like rough cuts of their movies or whatever and being inspired and and but writing stuff but but to serve them so it was really exciting it is really exciting to like have a my record and be able to collaborate be on the other side of that you know like be able to it be my lyrics and my stories and my this personal thing but like also it'd be highly collaborative both musically with Bobby and, and visually with, with other artists that, um, man, namely my, my, my buddy, Joe, he's been sort of like the creative, the, the visual sort of mm. director of sorts for the, for the record. And I mean, you've been in, in music for a while. We, we mentioned your band before, of course you said there were multiple songwriters in that band, but but would you say that these songs on on Heaven Hunters are your most personal, your most sort of naked songs? I think so. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, there's other songs with my band that with with the dig that were personal, but you know, it was so collaborative that like you know, lyrically, a lot of the songs were collaborative. Also, it's harder. It's harder to make a um, to have a space for that on a record when the when the songs are coming from from three people mm-hmm. um and I, I feel like the work that those that my two buddies and like brothers that i grew up with making music the music that they're making now too is also also like some of the best music out there and some of the some of the the best music they've i think they like they're freer because i'm not like trying to squeeze my songs onto their records Mm-hmm. They're freer to make these singular, beautiful records that are like very much, um, very pure and like, um, focused. You know. Yeah. I think the collaborative process is magical, but it can be, it can be brutal too when you're like, especially when there's desperation involved, which was definitely the case with our band. Like I can, I listen back to some of the music and some of it is is really strong and i feel really proud of it. and some of it i can tell what i was trying to do I control mm-hmm. what we were, tell what we were trying to do because being an artist trying to make a living as an artist playing in a band is one of the most challenging um things you can do it's like it's really stacked up against you in a way like and it's with the changes in the industry and with the fact that it's such an 
in one sense such a a joy and such an uh, like enjoyable thing to do that makes it that makes it so everybody in the world wants to do that thing so it's high it's it's, it's so competitive and it can kind of wear on you and it can it can find its way into the music and i feel like what's nice about um scoring films is you're kind of free of that you're mm -hmm. like your job you're you're not your sense of like self and your sense of identity isn't wrapped up in film scoring in the same way so you don't stand in your own way so in a way you're kind of freer to write more to be yourself more it's weird it's hard to sound strange but hmm. like if since i don't identify as a composer since i identify as like a singer and a songwriter like when i was starting to score films it was like I wasn't standing in my own way because like my idea of like, I wasn't overthinking everything and, and sort of like blocking my own output. It was just kind of free because it was like, Oh, this is in service of someone else. So the music just came, yeah. you know? And that's sort of what I wanted to bring to this record was like, after doing that a few times, just bringing that energy to this record to my own record where it's just like, I don't, this record doesn't like, I don't have to make a living off of this record. Like I have to make a living um, working for other people. And so I was freer to just make the record I wanted to make. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting to hear you refer to yourself more as a singer and songwriter than a composer, given that uh, myself included, but many people do know you for composition work. So then to come out with this record that's uh, quite personal, quite nakedly personal at times. Um, was it frightening at all? That idea of like putting yourself on the front line. I know the stakes were a little lower because you don't, you like you said, you don't have to make a living off this record, but to come out of this sort of like instrumental compositional work, you know, was there a fear there for that? Oh yeah. It's terrifying. It's mm. terrifying. Like it's terrifying, like releasing it. You know, I think now, like, I released the first song a couple, like, on a month or two ago. And I think after that point, it, it's not scary anymore. I mean, it, it maybe is a little bit like when the record comes out, it'll be a little scary. But, like, I think that first one also is, like, because, you know, like, people don't know me as a singer. The people that, that are aware of me don't know me in that context. Like, it's important for me to be on, like, I wanted to put myself in a vulnerable way, like, on my album cover, on in my music videos. Like, I wanted to, to just sort of, not just, not just for the sake of spelling it out for people, but also for the sake of just, like, being, like, leaning into that, you know? Like, if it's, if the songs are personal, and if the, if my voice is exposed if it's you know like i might as well mirror that visually you know mm -hmm. so that that whole thing process is, is terrifying you know because you you there's there's an impulse to sort of um stay where like i'm sort of swimming against the the tide a little bit because it's a safer place for me to just stay where I have agency. Like I, I have more agency as a composer. I, I have more like, it's not really scary to release this score because you can always say, uh, you know, this is what the director wanted. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if somebody loves it, loves the music you write for a film, that's great. If somebody doesn't, you can, there's sort of this built in sort of like, safety shield <laughs> you're like well i would have i would have wrote you know i would have written a, a masterpiece but the direct you know like you know the director wanted me to do something else and i think with this is like it's just more like i try not to look at it like it's a higher or purer like form of expression because i think film music i love film music and i think it's and some of my favorite music is film music and or instrumental music like but at the same time 
singing, performing, like singing your songs, performing is there's it's its own animal. It's its own thing. There's nothing like it. It's like, and also the experience of it, like playing live, it's like, it's so immediate that like scoring films is collaborative in the beginning when hanging with the directors and getting calibrated and listening to music. And it can be collaborative at the end when you're like recording an orchestra or recording soloists or, and then when the movie comes out and you're sort of talking about your work or premieres or whatever, like that part is social, but so much of it in the middle is like you, it's like me alone in this room writing music in solitude, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, and even the sort of more social aspect, when you release something, you're getting the feedback a lot of the time digitally, unless you're like a psycho and you go to to the movie theater 30 nights in a row to see the movie that you scored, you know? Just hang out in the back row. You hang out in the back, <laughs> yeah, exactly. With a sign, with with a tie with, uh, with, with, with uh, piano keys on it, you know? <laughs> But I think, I think, I think like that part of it is like also like with, you're getting a lot of that. I'm I'm speaking personally, like I'm getting a lot of that shit on Instagram or text people saying, oh, I, I heard this. I love this. or, And it is, it is a cold comfort in a way, or maybe not a cold comfort, but it's, it's, it's a digital version of playing a song in a room with, pe- with people in it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like. And it's magical and 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 poignant and and it and potent in its own way, like the the marriage of a piece of music in a film, when it all hits right and everybody and it's this team sport and everybody like did, did their part in making something and you can see all yourself and your friends and all in it. That's a that's a, a powerful drug too. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think I just, I spent my life like on tour, like from like playing shows from like 18 to 33. That's what I was doing. I was struggling. And But you, you are alive in a way that's like, that's specific to that life. You know, like you're, the highs are a little bit higher. The lows are really low. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you're like in a different city every night. I was living in New York it's a different thing happening to your brain chemistry than like, than being in LA in a, in a house and have, you know, I have a kid and, a, and I'm married with the child, with a child and working. It's just a different, it's just a different thing. So I think with this record, it's like, it feels a little bit like getting back into the, this dipping back into this other life. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that's exciting but complicated because you're like working through you know it's a little bit like putting on a wet bathing suit we're like stepping away from the music industry for for four or five years and then coming back into it you're like it's like a familiar feeling but it's but you've had a little break from it Mm -hmm. you know but it is exciting and it's a different it's a different world now too than when i was in a band um yeah it's kind of shocking how seismically things have shifted so quickly it's crazy (laughs) yeah like it's like i don't yeah like live like touring is different um also just like stepping away from it like i don't if i were to go on like uh, you know, like a lot of the, a lot of the clubs are different. A lot of the labels are different. A lot of the, the the press is different. Like it's just a different. It's a little bit like uh, being frozen or something. Like like Austin Powers or something. <laughs> something bad, you know. But um, it's I, I'm I'm grateful to be in a position where I'm able to like make a record and and play shows and um get back into it because i because i missed it terribly mm. and make the like the exact kind of record you want to make too which is a luxury yeah. it is yeah it is it is really yeah. it is luxury. Um, so 
how then does playing in an, in sort of like an indie rock band give way then to film composition for you? Like what made that switch? Um, it's interesting. I, I grew up like really into film music. Like I, I, I'm not like a deep scholar of it. Like I, there's a lot of people that know a lot more than me about it. But when I was a teenager, I fell in love with like Edward Scissorhands and Danny Elfman's score and, I fell in love with Nina Rota and like the Godfather when I was a kid. It's kind of like a an obvious one, but it's it's also kind of the best one. It's such an amazing score. And then from that, I got into like Fellini's movies and like all of because through Nina Rota's score for scores for 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 Fellini, like sort of got me excited about film music as like a teenager. And I studied classical composition a little bit in school. And then I left school and just toured in bands and in that band mainly for for like a decade and change. And then during that time, I was like scoring films for uh, mainly for my friend Terrence Nance, who's a who's a, a musician and an amazing filmmaker and a brilliant musician. And, I'd scored a film for, I contributed some music to his movie, uh, an oversimplification of her beauty in like 2013, something like that. Okay. And then about five years ago, I moved to LA and he had a, sh got a show called Random Acts of Flyness uh, picked up by HBO. Oh, and he, yeah. hired, he hired me and a few other uh, amazing composers, this guy, Nick Hakeem, uh, Nelson Mandela, and, uh, his brother Nelson and um, and John Bapp and Terrence himself. So there was five of us writing music on that show, and that happened to happen right as I was as I got to LA. So oh, wow. from there, so I I got to LA and then I got that job and then from there I kind of um expanded on it. You know, I I met other people through that job that. And my friend Joe uh, hired me to score his film, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And that was sort of when it picked up to this other level of like, where from that point, I was just like scoring films. Like, I kind of got sucked into that mm -hmm. world, um, which was also at the time really scary and, and exciting. Yeah, it sounds like it was probably something you hadn't really expected to ever really happen. I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't expect it to happen at all. And and I remember wanting to 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 be in a band and and do that rather than score films because as much as I love the idea of scoring films, somebody told me some some like number about how competitive it was, like hundreds of people competing to score a film for free for somebody in LA or somebody told me some story that spooked me. Mm. And I was like, well, I might as well do if they're both so competitive and I might as well like focus on the band thing. But, mm. um, but it wasn't like I fell into it either. It's sort of like, like I also really wanted it, you know, like I, I remember when I met, like I, I worked hard to for Terrence. Terrence is like really brilliant, and he was the first person I worked with that like taught me like to push myself further and further. You know, like like multiple revisions on each piece of music to get it to his best possible to get it to his best possible place, um, and then. I met this agent that my agent, um, who's my agent now, this guy named Bradley Rainey, who's amazing. And he gave me an opportunity to audition for Joe's movie, Last Black Man in San Francisco. He was like, this is, this is, uh, they're having a hard time finding a composer. Like, can you, can you give him a demo in the next two days, like over the weekend? So I spent like, uh, like two 12 hour days in a row like chipping away working on something stressing out i spent my own money on like hiring clarinetists and buying like uh like uh, string samples and like i like really went for it 
Mm-hmm. Like I, I could see that it was an opportunity. I love the movie. They sent me a really rough cut of the movie. I fell in love with it. And I was like, I'm going to die if I don't get this job. So I like, I like worked really hard on it. And then, and then I pretended like I wrote it in an hour. Like I, you know, <laughs> you know, I wrote it in 24 hours. So to just try to like play it cool and get the, you know, sure get the job. And then Joe hired me and uh, yeah, it was like a fucking crazy experience. It was like four months of like, working 10 to 15 hour days every day the end of it there were days we worked like 24 hours in a row because mm. the deadlines were crazy um and nobody knew what they were doing like i didn't know what i was doing like it was joe's first time directing a movie you know our friends that were acting in the movie jimmy and, and jonathan and and the dp adam and and our friend christina produced it like all of us it was our first time doing it so it was a bit of a mess but in a really sort of magical way Hmm. so what were you gonna say uh, i was just just gonna uh so that that was your first feature film that you scored um yeah your most recent i believe is the jesse eisenberg film when you finish saving the world Mm-hmm. Um, but in between there, the, 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 the time I became aware of your work was on, um, Kajillionaire. Oh, cool. Um, cause I'm a huge Miranda July fan. Oh yeah. She's, the um, best. I'm assuming you were familiar then with her work before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing her movie. I remember seeing her first movie, me and you and everyone we know. Yeah. It's like um, one of my all time. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing it when I was like. 19 or something and i saw this there was a a theater called the jacob burns film center which is like in pleasantville new york which is a few towns over from where i grew up so it was like a an art house theater that was like this sanctuary and like i i swear i went to see those fellini movies and stuff Mm -hmm. after i got into the godfather as a kid so i went to see um her movie and was just blown away yeah. And then the future, and then you know her short stories. Like there was she. I hadn't read her when I met her. She gave me some of her books. I met her like as I was recording, like the day before I was recording, um, my band's last EP. Mm. So like I met her, and then I went off for a month to to make a record but while i was uh making the record i would like sneak off in the morning and write <laughs> melodies for her and 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 get sort of immersed in her vibe and, re- and reading her short stories and um i saw an early cut of of her film um or it was a locked cut but it had different it was the different music in it mm-hmm. and we only had five weeks to score it so like because when I came back, we had like a to meet like a can deadline for submitting to the film festival. So we like were just the two of us in a room every day for five weeks, just like because that's a, sh- a really short time. Yeah, score film. Um, and I was like, I mean, I'm a huge fan of hers, and I was like, I you know, it was Last Black Man hadn't come out yet. I was like very green. I, that was the only film I'd scored before that. And it was, it just felt very like um, surreal to like be working with her and be in a room with her. And it was magic. Yeah. Yeah. It was really a great experience and it was a, a singular experience, you know. And then um, from there, I'd, I did Last Black Man, Kajillionaire, and, and this movie Minari all like on top of each other, like in a row. Boom, boom, yeah. Boom. And I had this sort of false sense of like, oh, every movie is going to be as good as those movies. Like, I'll just keep getting movies offers that are as good as that. Right. And it it I, it took a little bit of time, a few years after that, to realize, oh, that's like, because it wasn't in, it was a couple of years between scoring those and 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 then and then Jesse's movie, where like, it, it, I was aware, like, oh, these movies are actually really rare, you know, movies mm-hmm. that that are 
as special as that. And all three of them are really, really imaginative and, and vulnerable and um, and sort of pure in a way that's, I think I was spoiled. That. yeah yeah i was i was kind of gonna 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 um pull on that a bit because you know i i also started with with miranda's first film it was one of the movies when i was like 13 or 14 that like got me into film um because it was so strange and it was such a new voice and so you know her work is so specific in its voice and in its tone and Jesse's work is too, and Liazic Chung's work is too. And so how do you, as the composer then, like what's the what's the tension between you and your musicianship and then their quite specific visions for their films? Like how how do you navigate that as a composer? I think you get you, well, when it works the best is when they come to you for what you do, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and then you just, absorb their specifically their script or their 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 film if you if you can watch it if it's been shot and then you just write a bunch of music in the spirit of like if you're just inspired and lit up by what they did and you just write a bunch of music but i think it's it's you can get into trouble if you think like if you're trying to guess what they want it's hard to not do that because in and there's an element that's always always kind of baked into that. But like like you're saying about Miranda's work or 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 like or Jesse or, or Isaac's, like they have this, this specific voice and you're like, you don't want to um you want your music to to work in their world, but you want it to also kind of ex expand it or heighten it. Like the job of the composer is to sort of elevate it in a way and and usher it along. I mean, it depends on, it's case by case. Some scores are supposed to disappear. Mm -hmm. And some of the best scores do that, that you don't even hear them, but you feel them. And some scores like really announce themselves in like a really bold way. And I love that. Like I love when a score is unapologetic like that. So I think with Miranda's movie, it was this love story and you know i was just writing i was inspired by it and i was just writing like sort of unapologetically romantic like not worried about being corny like mm. like big swing like love music but but in a way that fit in her in her world and uh we were just kind of living and breathing it like mm -hmm. um also because we wrote it because we were working on it in such a compact time it has sort of this uh this potency because you're you, there was no time to work or think about anything else yeah um but yeah it is an interesting it is an interesting thing because there's it's every job's different and you you know you you try to find your try to find a way to do your thing in it you know, like I'm working on something now, I've been working on it for the last three or four months. And it's been, um, you know, it. you can never say like, when you get a job, like, I think this movie needs this, I'm going to write this, this and this. And it's going to work like the whole gig is like, getting lost and, and, and fucking around and exploring and finding it, finding, right. it, you know, um yeah because you don't you, you don't want your you know artist's ego to sort of clash with the other artists ego, yeah right but you need to yeah. somehow meld the two yeah and then at the end of the day they're 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 driving it so mm -hmm. if i send a piece of music that i don't love and they put it in the and they like it and i say i really don't want to put this if my ego gets involved, I'm like, I really don't want to put this in the movie. It doesn't fucking matter. They're going to put it in <laughs> right. it works for their movie. They're going to use it. So I try not to like push the send button on anything with music on it that I I wouldn't be psyched about it living in the in the film or the show. So um, we mentioned uh, Minari. Um, 
which you were nominated for an Oscar for, which was probably a weird whirlwind of a moment. Yeah, it's very um, weird. <laughs> uh, you know, that's such a lovely and very just like utterly gentle film, despite the fact that there's literally a fire in it. But okay. it's a very gentle, gentle film for most of it. Um, so I'm, I guess I'm curious then sort of like, do you, do you enjoy or is there a, a specific challenge to scoring films of that nature that are just sort of like gentle and soft and and relatively low-key or is that kind I, of where you live i i mean that, that was kind of like kid in my mind in a way kajillionaire and, and minari are like this are like um gentle in that in in a way or, or like the the music is like feminine in a way that i love that that like comes naturally to me to write like um i don't know how to describe it. it's hard to articulate but mm. it's less um grandiose or less regal than like the stuff i uh, i would do for joe or for other projects you know like for last black man or like it's so that comes natural more naturally to me i think to write music that is has this sort of delicate um like uh dream dreamy vibe i guess mm. and it's hard to talk about your own stuff <laughs> in a way where you don't sound like a, a goon you know <laughs> but uh i think um i think for those films like for me like he i met isaac like at the premiere of last black man in san francisco like he came with Stephen and my friend Christina, who who, who starred and produced in the, in the movie, you know, the, the three of them came. And we had lunch like a couple of days later, and he the, he hadn't shot the movie yet, and he gave me his script. And I wrote just a bunch of music, like not even with scenes in mind, just like in the spirit of his script, because the script, I didn't know where the music was going to go. In a way, it was sort of, um for self-serving narcissistic reasons because i was like i want this i want this movie to have score and when you read the script it was really beautiful and moving but it was it's five people in a in a in a mobile home the whole time and there's so it's like you have no idea where the music's gonna go so i thought if i give him a bunch of music before he shoots and before they edit it i'll like shoehorn my my vibe into this movie Mm mm-hmm so I gave him a, I wrote like 80% of the music and the recordings that ended up in the score for that movie were like written before they shot it and were like recorded the day I wrote it. You know, like oh, I wow. just, because I tried to go back and replace things and, but it didn't have the spirit or the vibe of like, there's sort of like the day you conceive of a melody or conceive of a, of a piece of music, like, and and like if 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 a year goes by between that time and you like professionally quote unquote record it, it's really hard to to get back to that feeling, you know. Yeah. So yeah, that was like the the really the most enjoyable process because it was like they were driving around Tulsa, listening to the like scouting locations, listening to the music. My wife and I went to visit them on set and um like we're watching them kind of make the movie and um by the time they edited it my friend harry edited it he's brilliant and he used my music in all these places i never would have thought to like that's the best friend you can make is an editor because <laughs> they they will use your shit in places that you they have a deeper understanding and than any anybody aside from the filmmaker of the of the film because they're the architects of it they're like really yeah um so you could have something that you think is kind of throwaway and they can put it in a place that you never would have thought to that like and then you kind of get the credit for it right and it so, elevates that moment so exactly <laughs> and yeah and the film elevates the music it goes both ways right no for sure um and i mean 
not not to dwell on it or 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 embarrass you at all a little but like what what was that experience like though of of going through the sort of awards machine oh like that's probably something again that we said before like something you probably never would have seen coming a million miles away you know no but if i'm going to talk honestly about it it was like it was amazing and it was kind of a nightmare it was Mm -hmm. both like well it also happening at a time where it was we were um in quarantine right so so like and i i'd been in a band my whole life that never did any interviews you know (laughs) so like i was like feet i had my head really far up my own ass like i was like in a way it felt really good to talk about myself and my work every day for for a few hours a day for for like months and months and months leading up to it but it was all a digital version of it mm-hmm. so it was what was what was already surreal to be like plugged into the awards season machine was it was heightened it was more surreal because it was um it was digital and it was like and it's like you're campaigning you're like you're like out there like um uh trying to get talk about your work to to like i mean the the best way to look at it the 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 least cynical way and 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 the the best way to look at it is that you're you're talking about your work and your and your collaborators work to sort of elevate and the the release of something and connect to as many people as possible like there is something beautiful about it but in a normal awards year we would have been like at parties and like at screenings and up on stage after the you know like meeting people like this was like i felt like i was in like a zoom the way we are now like mm-hmm. but sometimes with like five other composers like like kind of like there was one moment where it kind of occurred to me like we're in these little boxes <laughs> and it kind of felt like a little bit like ooh, like give me the prize you know like <laughs> but um and it does something to your brain to like to like be, I mean, Hollywood does something to your brain. And that was my first experience with it, like on that level where it's like, it's like a fire hose of endorphins on your brain. And then the Oscars come and you go and it's this like surreal experience. And then the next day there's like, it just shuts off. There's no, right. you know what I mean? And you have to sort of um, try not to lose yourself in it. But it was happening at a time for me where I was like, right before my wife and i uh decided to have a kid and 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 the the pandemic was starting to like loosen up like it was starting the world was starting to open and so it was a crazy time for me and yeah like emotionally it was like this wild roller coaster and i lost myself a little bit in it and i'm really grateful that i like that i didn't like lose myself in it and i like and i don't know it's it's you're you're negotiating with a really powerful drug you're like you're like and i remember at the time i just i I hired a an award season publicist and 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 stopped uh going to therapy because i couldn't afford you know what i mean i couldn't afford both both. (laughs) so i like put like the money from like my mental health into this like this very unhealthy machine but it, it also was you know, like i don't regret it i feel whatever you know it's it's complicated but like it is a machine it is like and it's not and it's not like i feel really proud of that that movie and i'm really proud of that score but i don't feel i feel proud of all the pro, the projects i'm involved with and certain things get plugged into this machine based on all these other factors and i think um it's important to not like lose sight of that that it is like this town is its own animal you have to if you're putting some of it in your bloodstream you have to like respect its power you have to be like this is gonna um but yeah no it was i it was something that i again did never expected would happen but also like worked really hard to make it happen you know like you that's why it's always a little silly when people like like going through that experience and then seeing people like accept awards and they're like, I can't believe it. It's like, but 
I know what goes into it. It's like there's right. so much strategy and so much. And I'm not saying it to 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 knock it at all. It's just like it's part of the it's it's part of the the industry and it's part of the and at its best, it's like you're you're making something with people that you love and it's connecting with people and and people are reaching out to you and from different times in your life and it's it was very, very, it was very beautiful in a lot of ways. I'm, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm careful to not be cynical about it, but it's yeah. like anything, it's layered. Yeah, know? no, of course. And, you know, you go from that sort of grand scale thing. Um, and now here we are a couple of years on and you're about to release this quite small insular sort of personal solo record, totally, yeah. totally different. Um, you know, do you see overlap though? Like, do you see overlap between these two worlds for you? I do. I do. Yeah. I mean, it's something like you have to negotiate. It's like, it's, um, you, I see overlap in the fact that I, I, I'm really proud of, of both of them. And I feel like, um, really grateful to be able to 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 do both and i think at the end of the day it's helpful for me to think about it as like you're just making things it's all kind of the same thing you mm-hmm. know when there's people that are multi you know they're like if they're like writing and making music and then acting or whatever it is like you're just creating things you know so in that sense it's nice to just to not like too strictly compartmentalized and be like this is this part of my creative life and this is this part you know um i think the part that gets that you have to if i might speak honestly about it that you that's you have to work through is like like i have more agency as a composer than i do as a singer mm. this stage of my life so it's like if you're like things like the Oscars or things like working with your heroes and, and that side on the film side, you can kind of, especially if like I was sort of traumatized by, by struggling in the music industry for like deck for like 15 years and being on tour and sleeping in the van and not ever getting any press or, you know, like, or never getting signed, you know, like there's these sort of, uh, you have a lifetime of that and then you and then you're at the oscars and you have this other experience and then you're kind of going back to some other version of the music of your, of your place in the music industry right. it is like it is a complex thing to 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 like not let your sense of self-worth be wrapped up in either thing because if you think oh like i'm i don't know i think i mean i'm i'm 37 years old so i that and i i have a family and I I'm like I feel really really like an embarrassment of riches I feel really lucky Mm. um but the sort of the thing that Hollywood can do to your brain or thing that the music industry like success or 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 struggling both both of those things can really fuck you up you know like success can really fuck up your personality but struggling can also fuck up your personality it's you know and then if struggling in one one area and succeeding in another so to speak it's it's you have to like try to divorce yourself from the from like your self-worth being wrapped up in it because i don't have control over any of it i don't really have control over yeah awards shows or or you know ticket sales for my my shows around my record like i don't you have to sort of surrender to it um, and that's if i'm gonna be honest is a challenge like because you can yeah you can get wrapped up in it it's this design to 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 get you yeah. and like yeah. this town too like every so many people that i I'm, that i see regularly are working in the same industry and they're all they're all a lot of them are artists and and really interesting eclectic people like and but um 
not only does the whole does this whole town everybody talk about the same thing but like every but but the thing that the industry that we're plugged into the whole world talks about mm-hmm. you know what i mean so like your mom like if i talk to my mom she's talking to me about did you see succession last night or whatever right you know? right right so it's like you, there's no escaping it you know what i mean it's like it's like living in a i don't know it's hard and you have to sort of be aware of it because then or like make sure you're not you, your world doesn't get too 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 focused or small in in like in film tv land because it's yeah. it's uh it's all around us you know um, for better or worse <laughs> yeah no, i mean i love it i, I love yeah it. me too yeah i love it but it's um it's you have to i feel like you have to respect it you have to like respect its power and mm. not I'm talking to myself. I say that. <laughs> you don't have to do it. You know? I can log off, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, before we go, really quick, I wanted to. I feel like I already know the answer to this, but um, or some of the answers to this. I was curious if you could do a quick game of of, of three favorite scores of yours. Oh yeah. Um. Well, there's the two. I mean, I think Fargo. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good one. Probably. It's definitely in the top three. It's so like, it's so like unapologetic and sweeping. <laughs> and it's in the movies. Like I actually read recently that Carter Burwell, um, who wrote it, he he said something like, um, they wanted that like his idea for that sort of folk melody that like you hear throughout the film is like was to serve the comedy of the film was to be mm. absurd but i think which was surprising to me because i think somehow it became profound somehow in the because that movie is is deeply funny but it's also like it's this classic folklore kind of story that like i don't know like it it they 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 stumbled into something profound with it if that was their intention it was yeah. Sort of comedy, and it it just gets bigger and bigger, and um, it's really repetitive. A lot of my favorite scores are really repetitive; like they're really the theme just ke- keeps giving, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Edward Scissorhands too, just because it's just it's just like the love; it's just so romantic. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's haunting, and um, for a third one, I don't even know. I mean, I guess the Godfather. The Godfather, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that feels like a corny one to choose just because it's the most popular movie of all time, you know. True. But, <laughs> but it has like so many, so many heavy hitters on it. It has like so many like melodies that are just like instantaneously that you hear two notes and the the whole feeling of the film comes flooding to you, to you, you know? That's like oh, me with so. the, uh, that's like me with the spirit away theme. Oh yeah. That's yeah, the that, one for you. The Miyazaki's. Yeah. That, those, those piano notes in the beginning. Oh, they, it's yeah, so beautiful. Just yeah. transport you. So some, some films just, their scores just do that. And that's they kind do, of the, yeah. the magic and the power. So. Yeah. It's the power of music, yeah. you know, in that context. It's like smell. I yeah, think they say for sure. smell is the fastest the fastest um like way like pathway in your yeah. in the receptors in your brain to like for nostalgia or for to bring you to a feeling but they say i think music is number two that would make sense yeah yeah only if they could pump smells into the movie theater yeah into yeah smell a vision <laughs> yeah yeah that's maybe that's on the horizon we'll it's on see. the way yeah um all right well emil thank you very much your yeah, time. I, I had, a, had a, a good time talking to you. Your uh, Emil's new record is out June 9th. Uh, it's called Heaven Hunters. Please check it out and uh, go watch the movies he scored because they're all so lovely and the scores are lovely and everything's lovely. And just, you know, go spend an afternoon. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Likewise, man. It's great catching up.